Welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something and our five-star Meltzer breakdowns as we're looking through every match that Dave Meltzer's rated five stars or higher until it gives either of us a nervous breakdown. We're not quite there yet. Ah, it is me. Oh no, doing jumping jacks in, in ladies' underwear on the other side is my co-host. Simon Cross. And I'm Lorcan Mullen. Simon, get down from that high <laughs> shelf. <laughs> what are we talking about this time? Uh, we have waited a long, long time. If you're going on a linear basis, we haven't, of course. Yeah, we just recorded this after the previous one. <laughs> <laughs> K-Fade do. Um, but no, we are looking at the year 2003, and we are looking at Mitsuhara Misawa and Kenta Kabashi in Noah. This is uh, the first time we have gone to this fairly new promotion. It's in its... Third, second or third year at this point, I would say. It started in 2000, October 2000. So two and a half years. So if it was a toddler, you know, you're walking, you're saying words, you know, you're getting there, you're getting there, basically. Mm. Um, But the in-ring performers in this match are obviously well-seasoned. None of them are toddler-like at all. Uh, So it's Mitsuharu Misawa versus Kenta Kabashi for the GHC title. Mm. So, now, one thing I would like to say before we get into the in-ring action, I have been waiting to ask you this question: What's with Kenta's like Kenta Kabashi's sort of like weird gothic robe? What was well, that business about? When when all when all this all Japan talent moved to new uh, moved to Noah, a lot of them, uh, a few of them decided they were going to change their look up. Uh, Masao was so long established as green and white that he decided to keep his uh, colours and, and, and they, they are the colours of Noah as well until recently where they've done a rebranding exercise um, where they've gone for a red and white look. Um, I think, well it came up at the 10th anniversary of Masao's death and they were just like, we've got to find our own. Just like how Masao did with his starting his own promotion as opposed to just inheriting the mantle of all Japan and, and having to work with Giant Baba's wife, who he found quite difficult to work with. Um, okay. It's uh, um, and so Kabashi decided that he would no longer be the orange uh, crush. He switched to a black and purple look, and Jun Akiyama ditched the blue trunks uh, look to go with an all white number, and also dyed his hair sort of a strawberry blonde would be the kindest way of putting it. 
so things were being changed up. It was a new look. And you can also see it in a new presentation. They do that. They dim the lights. There's lasers going on. There's an entrance yeah. ramp. There's, you know, it's like in the, in the, world, the, of most, Raz- by the, in the world of Razzmatazz, it ain't much. Yeah. But it, it's it's like getting... Compared to, compared to what we were talking about in the previous episode of All Japan, though, this is like all the bells and whistles. Yeah. I mean, that entrance ramp, that looks like, you know, Daz adverts. Yeah. After they've shown you the leading competitor and they sort of show you what Daz has done. That's what that ramp looks like. What do you, it's insane. Boy. What do you think of the entrance ramp to the ring? We saw it in WCW. Uh, it's been used in, with New Japan. It's been used by WCW. ECW used it for a fair amount of time. I think TNA definitely used it for a very long time. WWE have never used it. And I actually listened to a podcast recently uh, where Vince said that he likes the wrestlers to be like to be on, on eye level with the fans as they make their entrance. And they can also yeah. high-five them as they make their way to the ring as well. So... It's a cool change of things, but I think if I was running a promotion, I don't think I would do it. Yeah. Sometimes um, I've been to places where they don't really have much of an option when I've seen some independent wrestling, because like when they hold it in like a school hall and that has a stage, so you don't really have... They just use the ramp because it... it's um, a nice smooth transition and you don't want to have to like get up again and you cut into your seats. Um... I think RevPro might use it as well, or yeah. I might be wrong there. I, I don't see. I don't have any great issue with it. Yeah, um, it's just something that's different. Yeah, I'm not angry if I see it. Yeah, but, um, and it does allow for some innovation. Like I do love it when people sort of get Irish whipped on the ramp and bounce off the ropes, but into the other one. And we do see it being used in this match. Now, like we say, it's a long gap between um, the the previous five-star match and this five-star match, but it was kind of unforced for as far as Noah were concerned because yeah. this is the first singles match that Kabashi and Masao have had since meeting in the Champion Carnival semi-final in April of 2000 where Kabashi yet again recorded a big victory over Masao as this gradual claiming of the, um, the mantle of the ace of the promotion. Yeah. The only problem was, as we've seen for quite a while, Kabashi's body has basically broken down. <laughs> you know, as we said in an early episode, this was a guy that was being told by his dojo uh, like trainers that he was training too hard. And if you're yeah. being told in Japan that you're training too hard... You're definitely training too hard. And you're pushing your body further than it maybe needed to go. So yeah. Noah starts up in August of 2000 uh, with Kabashi teaming up with his part with his burning stablemate Akiyama to beat Misawa and Tawei in a two out of three falls match where Akiyama uh, pinned both of them, pinned uh, both Misawa and Kabashi, uh, and Tawei. Then he turned on his partner Kabashi post match, and they had another match on the second night, which uh, Akiyama won. So Jesus, that's a massive forty-eight hours. They gave Akiyama the three, the wins over three, the three of the four pillars of heaven that moved to Noah. So it's obvious going in that Kabashi and Akiyama uh, were going to wrestle each other. And actually, interestingly, according to Wikipedia, Kabashi legitimately passed out whilst being in Akiyama's uh, King Crablock submission and wasn't able to do the proper finish of the match they were supposed to have. Okay. 
So that feud continued on, and then in December of 2000, Kabashi got a vic- revenge victory over Akiyama. But at this point, he's gone. And he had to have surgery on both of his knees, and I think his elbow as well. Ooh. So he's basically had to have surgery on three of his four joints. Just as we've had three of the yeah. four pillars of heaven, Kabashi's had three of his four key joints needed uh, surgery. So he missed 13 months off. He missed the entirety of 2001. Debuted again on February 2002, and he managed to do his knees in again and missed another five months after that. So that's got to be annoying. You you give the guy everything in terms of like pushing him. You give him those free wins in that 48-hour spell, and then you lose him for a combined total of a year and a half. Yeah. So, like, in, the, you... yeah. so in, the four, that... in the three and a half years we've had between these two matches... Only about 12 months of those has Kent Kabashi been an active wrestler. Yeah. And as such, Masawa has therefore had to shoulder a lot of the responsibility that he didn't necessarily want. Obviously, yeah. if you have yourself lose in the first night, it's probably a sign that you don't necessarily want to be the the guy. But yeah. fortunately for um, uh, Masawa... For a variety of reasons, he had to stay the guy. And unfortunately, even after this, he continued to have to be, at various points, the guy of the promotion. And he um, won the GHC title. He was its first champion. And that might have always been the plan to give you know yeah. the, the top title to the biggest star. But he lost it to Tawai. Uh, he had one defense against Tawai, sorry. Uh, he won it in April of 2001, but then by July of 2001, he dropped it to Jun Akiyama. So again, he didn't want to be the big guy that held it. Yeah. And he then went into the sort of... The, the, he was the, un- the underneath guy. He was doing the tag team stuff for the most part. Akiyama has his run with the title for about uh, nine months, loses it to Ogawa as a shock win. Ogawa, who we saw in the previous match, just was was never of that sort of size that he could look like a truly competitive feature. Even though he got two big defences, he lost it to Yoshihiro Takayama, who's sort of the big free agent of wrestling at this point. He, okay. he was winning the IWGP heavyweight title around this sort of period of time because he made a big name for himself. About a year later, he won the IWGP title because he made a big name for himself going into the hugely popular world of pride MMA fighting and like having those big matches with guys like Don Fry and Bob Sapp and just getting oh, okay. shit kicked out of him but still going so he kind of became a cult figure um, but he also lost it back to Masawa because Masawa just he given Akiyama and Ogawa the chance and they weren't drawing in the way that he was Yeah, but he held it essentially again defends it once against Ogawa and this is yet again his second defense against Kabashi and this has been a match that had been a long time coming, like we say. Well, it's it's the passing of the crown, the passing of the torch. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because we've watched those, you know, three of these past four matches have been the um, these two guys against each other and the other one in between was a tag team match, which ended with those two guys as well. Yeah. But funnily enough, how it opens this time is that Masawa is the one that is the dominant uh, wrestler at the start and Kabashi is the one that doesn't uh, dominate and it's Kabashi that takes the huge moves I think it's always that sign I guess that like 
the the underdog is the one that's desperate and has to pull off certain things. Yeah. Um. And but also, what's interesting, I thought at the start, is that it's Masawa that targets uh, body parts. Like I like the 99 that. match, but unlike in the 99 match, it doesn't really factor into the rest of the match. Like we were saying that when Kabashi took apart Masawa's arm, which prevented yeah. him from doing elbows and everything, Masawa didn't do an elbow then for like the next 20 minutes. But Kabashi Whereas... pretty much doesn't sell the arm when he gets back into control. Yeah, he does. He starts when he starts chopping. He does start chopping with the other arm because I did make okay. a conscious effort to look out for it. Maybe I missed. That. Um, but by the end, he's using the right again. Because, okay, well, I um, need to go back. Maybe that's a mark that I shouldn't have held against the match. Yeah, because um, obviously the moment Kabashi seizes control is uh, after uh, Misawa makes a mistake and dives out and misses Kabashi and hits the barrier, and he hits a couple of those left chops because I'm. Because he is, I'm assuming he's a right-hander. Yeah. Um, he hits a couple of, because he hits the axe kicks first. And I thought, oh, he's doing that because he can't use his chops. And then he hits a couple of left arm chops. But after that, it comes, he starts using either arm again. Masara, of course, also cuts his chin off of that guardrail. Yeah. And so he's bleeding throughout the rest of the match. Again, like that hard way cut like we saw with uh, Kabashi's nose. In mm. the 99 match. Like an unintentional consequence of the way that they wrestle. But it adds to a, like a visual. Yeah, uh, well, less so than Kabashi's nose. But blood out of a nose is always a uh, more going to be more of a visual than a, a cut chin. Isn't yeah, it? and also it kind of tangles in with Masawa's not beard beard. Yeah, I miss I miss A clean shaven so. Kabashi now. I'm sure yeah. you're happy to say. Those two shouldn't have much about with facial hair. I'm, I'm sorry, they just shouldn't have. Yeah, again, they 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 the the cagey at the start. They do that indie standoff thing, you know, yeah. arm drag, head scissors, stand up, ready to fight. Don't audience gets to applaud and say we appreciate good wrestling. And they do it with that chain wrestling wrist lock thing they do. For yeah, a they good did work with the wrist lock a lot as well. Again, very good. Yeah. A kind of a repetition of what they've done before where they're sort of standing in the ring and they're working really hard on who can control that wrist. Yeah. But the key thing, like, we're not really... Not much is made of the fact that Kabashi is bigger and stronger this time. But maybe that's because oh. he's coming in in a relatively weaker state because he's had so much time off that he does have those... I don't know, I don't know. Maybe maybe genuinely yeah. Kabashi's physically not able to lift people up as much as he used to and... Do the power move mm. as much? So I don't know. He's still well. Big. You could, you could, you, you, you can attribute that somewhat to the fact that Kabash uh, Misawa did work the arm, and maybe that's how he's showing that the arm is injured, not through chops per se, but by not unleashing his big lifts, save for like a couple of occasions. Because I don't, you don't see his explosiveness, and obviously explosiveness does come from the legs as much as it comes from the arms. So it could be a real life reason for that. Mm. But you can attribute it to his selling of the arm, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'm searching for it at this point. You know? But he does still hit some power moves. Like, he hits a, a, a hanging vertical suplex. A front yeah. suplex. That's more... Oh, the front, oh, you're on about the front release. I thought you were on about later on. No. Sorry. I was jumping no, ahead. It's that sort of ebb and flow, like you say. There's like that one big move, and then suddenly the tide turns in another person's favour. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Kabashi... So, yeah, after Masawa was able to hit a backdrop early on, first head drop of the night... Uh, Kabashi rolled to the I was gonna outside, say. like you say. Yeah, first big move of the night, and I was like, "Ah, oh. here we go." But yeah. to be fair, well, 
We saw some more, but they weren't all that dangerous in comparison. We have seen more a more head drop saturated match before yes. than this. Um, Kabash, so yeah, Masawa just hits him and just kind of hits him with everything that he can at that point when mm-hmm. Kabashi rolls to the outside. Hits a diving elbow right off the top rope to the outside. That was sort of a bump that would previously only reserve for like the Manami Toyotas of this, of this yeah. list. Um, He's been watching some tapes. Yeah. And then a rolling plancher off the apron. He brings him back in, hits a missile dropkick off the top, and then a frog splash. And then he has like a reverse cross arm breaker. Yeah, I, I again targeting the arm, but it was like yeah, it was like I had to think for a second. It's like would that hurt? Yeah. Well, well, in theory, that means he can push it up against his own, like lift it up against his own body, and it could hurt even more. It's essentially like um, Becky's the the Lynch's the disarmer without sort of sitting up. True. Part of it. I don't know. It's it's still, it's a it, it was more arm work. It was fine. I um I am wanting to just raise up the head drop point again. Did you find yourself knowing what we know and knowing that unfortunately this is Misawa's last appearance in the five star list? Uh, did you find yourself like look? seeing the head drops in an even more jarring light. It wasn't so much the head drops, just as much as it feels like Masao moves around like he's in constant pain. Mm. Um, like, he seems to be selling more than he used to from what I can remember. Like, his visual expressions, facial expressions are becoming more and more pronounced. He could always do it, but I think that's as much like he legitimately is struggling to move in real life. So he's combining that with his own, like, in-ring psychology. Yeah. Because it is funny, just as time's gone on, Masawa just gets... Like, I was. I also watched um, just highlights, because uh, Ring of Honor had just uploaded it. Uh, the, the GHC title match that he has with Kenta mm. in Ring of Honor. And this was like four years later, 2007. And again, he just looks so... He can still do the roll to the outside flip. He can still do the missile drop kicks off the top. His agility is still there, but it just... It feels like there's a... You know, there's an ache in everything. Like, he just has that... He still always has that in-ring adrenaline, but it can just go away at any point. And it's not just yeah. head drops. And like I said, when you watch him, you know, just taking these strikes to the neck and... Like just the chops to the neck and the and the yeah, well, Kabashi doesn't. Just... He doesn't pull those chops, Kabashi, when he hits those next chops either. Those are stiff. But he is just taking like you know, even though he's not landing on his neck or his head, when he takes that vertical suplex, f- vertical front suplex, he's still falling from a great height and landing. And he is older, and he's apparently smoked like a chimney his whole life, and uh, like and he's not. Fat, but there's obviously more body fat on his never spectacular physique than there was yeah. before. And like I said, when you come to his time in in in, in Ring of Honor in 2007, it's getting heavier and heavier, and that must make it harder to go, harder to rotate yourself for those head drops, harder to keep your balance, harder to land on your feet when you do a suplex, because you're landing on more weights landing on your feet. But he's yeah. still able to do it, which is all the more miraculous for of how good a wrestler he was. Uh, and I think that was possibly the, the problem. Like, on, uh, the question I, I, was, I, was, I want to pitch to you is, do you think he... You never want to wish harm on any wrestler doing what they do. Obviously, 
do you think it's one of those situations because he could do those things he did for so long and if say he had like tore an acl or an mcl and had to have like a year off and then couldn't be the same athlete upon his return he may still be alive today no because he was still going that way he was pushing him he wanted i'm sure he wanted to do the well i think part of him wanted to do and part of him didn't wanted to do what baba did and just do six-man comedy tag team matches yeah uh, on the show and like baba was wrestling up to his final year because he wanted to go by the sense, sense of setting an example so I think yeah. within the Japanese culture, even if he'd had a torn ACL or MCL, he would have still had matches, and he would have still taken risks, and he probably would have still, you know, taken a, a so you say, head drop. So you off. say I don't think anything was going to stop Masawa. Unfortunately, so you're saying he'd have tried to work through like a knee injury like that, well, if or you torn your ACL, he had... literally can't work through it. Basically, yeah, you know, but he would have he would have gone on as long as he could walk. He would have wrestled. Yeah, and true. So, he did. He does seem so driven and in like the way I said, he wrestles. And like Noah just never drew without him or Kabashi on top. They never did. Kenta and Marafuji had a match at Budokan Hall, and they only got like 6,000 people in, a, in an arena that, you know, Masao was selling 16,000 tickets to for years, every other month, every month, every other month. Because they never really did the Tokyo Dome that much, or Japan and Noah. They both did eventually. But it was just that they were just consistently selling out the Budokan as opposed to relying on the big, you know, Tokyo Dome shows. True. Oh, it's just sad because, yeah, that, well, that thing, well, it's when you... Were... Let's talk more about the match and then we'll get to Misawa. True. Because it is all, this is really about making Kabashi the big, the, the guy going forward. Yeah, and Masawa is like Masawa's clearly making his last stand, really, at this point. And that's he's, that's why he's chucking everything. The the key moment where you just show just how desperate Masawa is to put Kabashi away, and like he knows how he has to go for, increasingly further and further than he has before, is when he tiger suplexes him off the ramp well, onto yeah. the floor. A lot of people think that's like one of the craziest bumps in wrestling history and one of the most memorable bumps in wrestling history. Yeah. And it is, like you say, it's that desperation thing of like, you know, we had Tawei's Don Don and, and all that. But even that, that's not a neck-based bump. Yeah. This and you're not, you're not falling from that great a height before you hit the apron, you know? No. no. Uh, well, no, off the apron. But it's still off the apron. It's still the same level. But it's yeah. a different type of bump. It's not a flatback bump. It's a It's a... To be fair to Kabashi, oh, no, he, doesn't do, he doesn't do the full rotation, so he absorbs some yeah. of it on the shoulders as well. So it's kind of like a pre-92 bump version of that suplex bump that we were in, you know, when we were already giving some of their matches five stars. True. Um, so it's still crazy, you know, it is crazy dangerous, but fortunately Masao Kabashi doesn't try and do the head thing. <laughs> Even he's yeah. not that crazy. I, I, I think you've got to look at that and go, nah. <laughs> Because um, if you're taking it with, what I was about to say is, if you're taking it with a drop as well in in mind, there's, there's, you've got less control over what can happen to you. So you've just got to be as conservative as you can. But again, it was that, that sense of Masawa has next to nothing. And he does have to take a bump as well, because he goes off the apron too. Mm-hmm. Um, in many ways, maybe that's even more dangerous, because he's got less of a distance that he can fall back on. I don't know. Um, so they're both out of it and they both graduate you know you get the thing that's now a cliche of the long count out and 
Masawa gets in at 18 and Kabashi just gets in at 19. And they're just out yeah. for ages. And the crowd's losing their minds at this point. They all can't believe what they've just seen. Um, I'm just trying to find out where my Tiger Suplex is. Um, Tiger Suplex on the outside. Uh, Wonder if we've gone ahead of ourselves. Is there a cat outside? No, that was a child. Oh, okay. That's boring. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the the yeah. Okay, so we've we've gone over quite we've we've covered quite a lot that I had notes for because they're already like I say they're throwing like there's Masawa hits Kabashi with elbows. Um, yeah, but Kabashi blocks a black a back elbow, so Kabashi hits him with more elbows. Then a German suplex, Kabashi pops up. Then Masawa hits a tiger suplex. Kabashi comes up again from that, and they have a strike exchange. Kabashi blocks another suplex. He blocks the tiger driver. Uh, Masawa hits rolling elbows and a rolling leg drop. He hits a tiger driver, a conventional tiger driver for two, for a long two. A tiger suplex for an even longer two. Uh, then he goes for the grounded abdominal stretch, hits another Tiger Driver for another two. So he's hitting Kabashi with everything. Tries to hit yeah. the Emerald Flosion, and that's the move that Kabashi escapes from. And then he hits his half suit, half Nelson suplex, Masawa gets up. And then Kabashi hits the scariest one, I think, which is the sleeper suplex. Yeah. Because then you're controlling their neck, and they can't even like necessarily put their they hands don't... up right to yeah. block it. That's the scariest of all the suplexes, I think. That sleeper suplex, because you're yeah. lifting them from the neck essentially at that point. So you, they have no control over where their head's going, really. Yeah. So yeah, like then they fight to the ramp. Kabashi tries to vertical suplex Masawa onto the ramp, but Masawa again lands on his feet because the man has the most crazy agility and balance, maybe of any wrestler ever. Yeah, um, lands on his feet, and then he hits the suplex on Kabashi onto the ramp. Mm. Uh, then he does a tope. Then he does the tope, and that's an interesting <laughs> one as well because it's he essentially hits Masawa, uh, Kabashi's midsection with the yeah. tope because they're on level footing. So it's almost like a spear. It's kind of like the Gagano spear between the ropes, actually. Yes, it? it is quite similar to that. I quite I, I, I like that though because it's it's something different that we haven't seen before. They're making use of the different surroundings. Mm. So Kabashi initially uh, M- initially goes for the Tiger Driver on the ramp. Yeah, and then when Kabashi blocks that, then he improvises and, like I say, Tiger DDTs off the ramp. And Kabashi, when they get up, like Kabashi has such a glazed look on his face, he looks out on his feet. Yeah, and Masawa hits a high kick, and that gets a ridiculously long two count. And then Kabashi is really in desperation defensive mode at this point, like he's hitting a chop, but it's almost as much to just try and push Masawa away to keep him away. Yeah. Uh, but Masawa just like evades that with a spinning elbow. And then he hits Emerald Flosion, which is basically his version of the Burning Hammer. Like he dusts it off only for special occasions. And yeah. Kabashi kicks out of that at the very, very, very last second. That, he did time that expertly well. And Masawa's two elbows prior to the Flosion are like, some of the most beautiful elbows I've seen him hit as well. So. So then you get Masawa going for a Tiger Driver, and I think the basic understanding would be if he's hitting the Tiger Driver, it's the 91 version yeah. where he drops him on his head, and that was what won it from him against Kabashi in the you know our current number one. Maybe not after this, who knows? Um, um, but Kabashi's finally able to backdrop out of it. Then they have a Lariat exchange, and Kabashi's able to finally win that. Then he hits a Brain Buster, 
And then he hits the burning hammer and that's the three. And that was kind of a shockingly short yes. turn from Kabashi after he took everything. He then just hit like a lariat and then his then two big head drops and that's it. Mm. Kind of in the past they gradually built to that. Like I don't even think he went for a pin off of the brainbuster. He did go off of, he did go for a pin off the lariat. Yeah. But no, no, we went straight from Brainbuster to Burning Hamburg. You're quite right. Uh, so it wasn't I've... like a gradual wearing him down and finishing him off. He did just have, you know, after taking such a shit kicking, he comes back. Well, it builds so him it more in some like, ways, though, doesn't it? Yeah, but it feels like maybe there's gaps in there that you would have expected from previous versions of it. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that that's the 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 crown is passed. And Kabashi then holds the title for two years and defends it 13 times in that period of time. He defends it against Tamon Honda. He goes to New Japan and defends it against Chono. Then in Noah, he defends it against Bison Smith, defends it against Yuji Nagata, another New Japan talent. Ogawa, Takuma Sano, Takeshi Rikio, Yoshihiro Takayama. You got the match with Jun Akiyama that we have to look forward to. And then he has a match with Tawei that is basically he's able to get the last great match out of Akira Tawei, um, who had already started like even more so than Masawa has started to take more of a backseat role in the promotion. Yeah. Then he faces off against Takatisho Saito. Then it's Mike Awesome as the Gladiator, and then it's Minoru Suzuki. And then basically almost exactly two years to this day, from the first of March two thousand three on the fifth of March two thousand five. He loses it to his former burning stablemate, Takeshi Rikio, who wins it on a second r- run. Simon, have you ever heard of Takeshi Rikio? No. There we go. Kind of proof positive of how it wasn't working. Rikio then wins it and defends it against Saito Tanahashi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, mm. and Masawa, but then loses it to Akira Tawai. That's right. They even had to have Tawai have it for a while. Then he goes from Tawai to Akiyama. Akiyama gets his second bite at the cherries, being the top guy. He loses it to Marafuji, and that's kind of the, another attempt at the next generation. And the guys that really have been the stars of Noah, that have built a name for themselves, had not been any of the heavyweights like Rikio. It had been the junior division that was basically the best junior division in wrestling at the time of Kenta and Marafuji. You know, they were the guys that the Ring of Honor fans were excited to see when Ring of Honor started yeah. to build a relationship with Noah, not Takeshi Rikio. And Marafuji. <laughs> Has a match. He defends it against Nigel McGuinness in America. There's a reason for why I'm getting to this. He defends it against Kenta, and that was the match that drew only like 6,000 people to the Budokan Hall. So, three years after this happened, Kabashi is gone at this point again. Injuries. He never holds the GHC title any more than this one time with the belts. I think, I don't know if this is when he gets cancer. When is it? Yeah. No, I think it's... Wait, just I'm just getting the Wikipedia page up. Um, so we lost, we lost the GHC title. Uh, had did some stuff in America. He did win the tag team titles, but he became inactive due to cancer. Yeah, he got cancer in 2006. Jesus. And just, you know, he had a brief return in 2008. Uh, oh, I had it in my head. It was, yeah, he had cancer later. Sorry, I, I don't know what that was. Well, he, he got it again, and that led to him retiring. Yeah. Oh. So Kabashi, like, he pushed himself so far that he was never, except for that 
two year period where he was probably seen as the best wrestler in the world and and that run with the GHC title is seen as one of the great title reigns of all time along mm. your likes of your like your Okada recent one you know and defending it 14 times is crazy even though like I said the caliber of opponents weren't always of the highest stature yeah. compared to what Masao was and, and then were doing in the triple crown days and he tried to build the guy up you know he did lose clean and fair and square to Rikio to try and help him but it just never happened and like I said they then they gave Marafuji a chance with Kenta and then because that drew so poorly the very next Budokan Hall show he drops the belt in to Misawa and then Misawa holds the belt throughout all of 2007 and 2008 and again they go for another guy the guy that they sent to Ring of Honor to build up in Takeshi Morishima but during that time he faces off against Morishima, Sano, Bison Smith again, Tawei, Marafuji, Samoa Joe. He has a match with Samoa Joe in Noah and Kenta, the one that he had in Ring of Honor. And then he goes off against Morishima and again Morishima. Morishima is a different kind of tragedy that you can look up. And so then come 2009, only a couple of years later, he dies in the ring, um, taking a suplex off of Bison Smith. I'm just trying to get. I'm just getting up the um, the um, trying to find the obituary. The obituary. I've got some of it. I'm just trying to find all of it. Um, I'm really since then Noah's never really recovered. And again, it's another one of those ones that you wonder if it's even gonna exist. I think New Japan literally had shares in it or something. Yeah, it's um, uh. Okay, so here we go. This is this was uh, in in this was the second obituary, basically more that that Dave Meltzer wrote. So I'm going to read the first couple of paragraphs to put into perspective the career of Mitsuhara Masawa. Perhaps the best American analogy is not a pro wrestler like Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, contemporaries and the two names who may be the closest cultural equivalents in the ring. But neither had his importance overall to the industry because of his role as a promoter and leader, particularly in what figured to be a very rough period for the business. It's probably race car driver Dale Earnhardt, whose similarities only coincidentally include both passing away on their respective battlegrounds. Earnhardt was arguably the best race car driver of the 90s, the same period when Sal was arguably the best pro wrestler. But both were more than that. They were larger than life in their sports and carried an awe about them. But they were more than that. Well, this, yeah... Um, both were still full-timers and past their prime when tragic accidents took place. But they were more than that. Both were Hall of Famers in their sports as a young age, Masaur at 34, Earnhardt at 40, and Hall of Famers of the no-brainer category in the sense that to even entertain the idea they weren't worthy would be ludicrous. They both tested the limits, Earnhardt with man-built machines and Masaur with his body. In the end, both continued to compete and their lives ended with tragic accidents that will never be forgotten in the respective histories of their professions. Those accidents both briefly caused outcries against those professions and created arguably innocent victims. Uh, Sterling Marlin in the Earnhardt death and a Katisho at an Akitoshi Saito in Misawa's death, who was the guy that did the suplex. But in retrospect, both were the living enduring symbols of their respective activities to a generation. On what would have been Masao's 47th birthday, on the 6th of on June 19, uh, 18th, the Japanese government's Education and Science Committee head, Hiroshi Hase, himself a Hall of Fame wrestler, called a meeting with the heads of Japan's three biggest pro wrestling promotions. 
Also at the meeting were former Prime Minister Yoshihiro Mori, the equivalent to a Jimmy Carter. Uh, Kenshiro Matsunami, a former amateur wrestling star who became a senator. And Shinobu Kandori, a well-known judo star who became one of the top woman wrestlers in the world and is now a senator. Um, Yeah, it's... I think that's... Yeah, one possessing a great athletic physique, his love for beer and sake left him with a large belly. (laughs) In the 90s, it was less noticeable, even though the joke amongst the American wrestlers was that he was learning from Abdullah the Butcher. And each year, he wore his tights an inch higher. Jealousy is an ugly thing, though, isn't it? His stomach got so large that the one-time junior heavyweight, always billed at 110 kilos or 242 pounds, looked to be closing in on 270 or 280 at his largest, although he had dropped weight that year. It's just... Uh, what, why bring up his weight? Like... What's the point in bringing up his weight, though? He was he was phenomenal. No, it doesn't no, matter what no, size it was. No, the reason for that is to show that he was physically not in the not in the condition that he should have been put in these positions. That True. tag match that he had that killed him was supposed to go thirty seven minutes. Yeah. Okay, I see what you're coming. I, I thought you meant in terms of like. No, it's not I, I'm, I'm still I'm still a bit bitter about the way the American wrestlers were going on about it. I'm like, if the guy was doing what he was doing in the mid to late nineties, it don't. But they weren't doing it to insult him. I think part of it was like. In and you know it was in awe of him. This is this is another point that he makes again about the physical toll that it goes. Kabashi is forty two and in considerably worse physical condition than Ric Flair at sixty, <laughs> with knees of a man probably closer to eighty. Oh well, there yeah, joint wise yeah yeah. It's uh, I I've just I'm oh, sorry I was just whilst you were um going into that I was just doing some reading of exactly what the cause of death was um. And they say it's like a sever. Um, it, the belly to back suplex severed his spinal cord, which led to cardiac arrest. But according to his Wikipedia page, the uh, his family invoked a law you can have in Japan where the police uh, aren't allowed um, to re- publicly release the cause of death. So that must have obviously travelled through the grapevine mm. before it was officially verified. And um, I've I've heard obviously in passing that Misawa had pre-written a letter yes. to the man who killed him in the ring. So, and that's, that's just... But the, 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 the fact that he even felt the need to do that. I mean, that's I see scary. To, look, to, love, to love what you do that much to know it's going to kill you, mm. in a sense. I, I, I both respect and would strongly discourage that in equal measure. You know what I mean? Like, People have drive and phenomenal levels of drive, and to be that elite for that long, Misawa had to have that. There is no question. But does it consume you, and does it cost? Well, it, ultimately, does it cost you your life? You know. Mm. I mean, it did, but or, or is it just a freak accident? Would a man who had took less damage been able to have survived the move that he took? I, I'm speculating. I'm wildly speculating. I'm not. I think we should maybe... Let's not reflect on the death. Let's reflect on the life. True. Misawa, like I said, what he could do without... do You know, he didn't springboard into the ring. He didn't moonsault. He didn't, you know, he didn't twist his body in midair. Yeah. He mostly kept to the ground. Like, maybe a third of all the moves he will do in a match was him doing an elbow strike. 
He was a man that was fairly straight-faced, like emotionless when he makes his entrance. He's not like Roddy Piper spinning around mm. looking at the crowd. He's not like Shawn Michaels. He's not like he's not even like a, he's not like Hiroshi Tanahashi playing to the crowd. He's like like you say he looks like a he looks like an accountant. <laughs> I did, I did say that, but he's got that X factor. He's got that otherness. You, you know, I, I've said this before. Uh, I forget in which episode, but he has presence. He, he looks like a professional, if you know what I mean. Just like, you know how some sportsmen just don't emote mm. and they just get on with the job. They deliver like the but mailman or like, um, we've got to remind ourselves. This isn't a sport. This is about provoking an emotion. Yes. But the weird, and yet he still did that. Yeah. And that's the weird thing. He didn't, by being that guy, he provoked more of an emotion than possibly did... if he had played to the crowd. That's my point. It's because it everything. jars. Well, he kind People of are did... just drawn to him. He kind of does everything that like Vince McMahon would think is wrong. And that's not a slight on Vince McMahon. That's a different ideology. Yeah. Um... But there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, yeah. it's not... Because wrestling is an art form, there's many ways to reach a goal of entertaining someone. And maybe it fit within that Japanese culture. But then again, you know, Inoki was the biggest star maybe of wrestling outside of Ricky Dozan. And he was always a man that kind of was fired up and energetic and and yelled to the crowd. And very expressive in the ring as well. uh, While still being very technically proficient. Uh, I'm going to ask you a couple of like... Did Masawa once do anything to to play up to the crowd during a match. You know, like, when Stan Hansen adjusts his elbow pad and the crowd knows there's going to be a, you know... Kabashi uh, was obviously always more fiery, more expressive. Yeah. Kawada was more emotional in the ring. Tawai well, Kawada's... wasn't, you know... Yeah, Tawai's a bit of a... Towards the end, when he started doing more heelish stuff. Mm. Fushi, well, we know how much I love his shithousery. Yeah. But Fushi's not of that four pillars. No, no he's not of those four pillars. But he was always a supporting player. He was never a draw like Masawa obviously was. But in the in what we're looking at, pandering to the crowds and not pandering to the crowd, Fushi, in terms of being a knobhead, drew looked to draw a reaction from the crowd with that. Whereas Masawa didn't. I've go, you know what I mean? He just was straight laced. The profession. Yeah, I don't think there will ever be as. Uh, 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 an ace of a promotion as unusual in his charisma and as un... Uh, and who doesn't play up to the crowd as much as Masawa. Like I said, there was Bret Hart, but even Bret Hart was energetic in his entrances and would play to the crowd. Well, he literally gave a kid his glasses. As far as a wrestler who doesn't... who didn't play to the crowd to court their favour. You could even argue Stone Cold Steve Austin. But it's a different ty- kind of way that he brings up the crowd. And they, and they work a crowd in a different way. And, yeah. he, and he couldn't physically do what Masawa did when he was in his prime drawing years. Yeah. Um. Oh, that's my... Well, partly just the net break as well, but... Well, yeah, of course. But also... Yeah. Like, if you had an All Japan-style match in, in, in WWE. Although, the whole culture of kicking out of finishers and everything really came from All Japan. Yeah. And that... Like, you can weirdly see the fingerprints of All Japan... These All Japan matches in 
especially in like the WrestleMania matches. The Undertaker basically has had his version of all Japan matches for (laughs) for WrestleManias for a long time. Do you get where I'm coming from? I do. And I don't even know if they're conscious of that or if they've seen those that were influenced by it and then taken their influence to push it further. I don't know. I'd be curious to ask a Shawn Michaels or or an Undertaker if they ever watched a Masao match or not. Because I think Masao was there in a kicking out of a tombstone and and an Undertaker doing a flying tope dive to the outside. Yeah. Even if they weren't aware that that was what had influenced them. I don't know, one way or the other. Yeah. I I do think in the Undertaker's case, it's it's weird that he wrestled slower when he was younger because obviously that was the style. And I guess he's just trying to do all the stuff he thinks he should have been able to do. I would love to see... Let's let's keep away from let's stay with Masawa. But the, uh, it sort of links to the question I was going to ask you. Um, I'm going to ask you a completely like fantasy booking uh, hindsight 2020 question. I know you're not keen on them necessarily, but because we're looking backwards, not forwards. Hopefully, this is okay. If you could pick one North American worker that didn't work with Masawa that you could like take in their prime and put against Masawa, who would you pick? Um, maybe, well, Bret Hart's. I see, that one would be good. <laughs> Although they did wrestle each other, actually. Uh, the uh, Tokyo Dome, uh, the post-WrestleMania 6 joint promotion match between, uh, joint promotion show between New Japan, All Japan, and WWF. Okay. uh, Hulk Hogan against Stan Hansen. Bret Hart wrestled uh, Misawa to a twenty-minute draw, and I think Bret Hart's always hated that match actually, and a lot of people have always seen as that as like the great disappointment. But if you took nineteen ninety-four Bret Hart against nineteen ninety-four Toshiaki Kawada, yeah, I to answer my question, I'd love to see. Because he could do all the pl- crowd play work and the in-ring stuff. He could hang in-ring with Misawa and he could do all the crowd play work himself if you needed crowd play work, depending on where the match was held. Um, I'd love to see Shawn Michaels mm. against Misawa. Like, Shawn Michaels, like, uh, just before he had to retire due to the back injury temporarily, I think that's when he was at his athletic peak, but not necessarily his wrestling peak. It's difficult. It is well, very difficult. Also, the logic, I think the, the logical one, I think a lot of people would say, is the guy that's probably going to eventually overtake Masawa for the most five star matches, and that's Kazuchika Okada. True. I, that would be good to see. That, I was just. Um, because the rain, I'd just love to see Masawa like, pop, pop up from a rainmaker. Into an emerald explosion because you can just see that in your head when you say that. Uh, that is immediately where my mind went. Mm. <sighs> so, from his junior heavyweight match, that was the fourth match on this list where he faced off against Kunyaki Kobayashi, to his big coming out in 1990 as his recently unmasked self against Jumbo Saruta, one of the first matches that I gave five stars as well to this mat to this mm. list. To his Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army series of matches. Oh, our favourite six That was my number one ever. for the, yeah. the longest time. To him then becoming part of the Four Pillars of Heaven with Kabashi on his side and, and Kawada and Natawe opposite him, either in singles or tag. To his 
grand old the the the, the jumbo now to Kabashi and Akiyama's Misawa and Kabashi. Um, I think you skipped a, like a key point there. He broke the rating system. He was yes. the he and well, Kawada. I was the saying that's part of the four pillars. That was part of the four yeah. pillars era. I know, but yeah. I feel that warrants its own little thing there. Where where Kabashi, Kawada, Masawa still hold the top three most five star matches between them. For now we still have a couple more Kabashi matches. Well, Okada's only at my point of recording. Whilst he has already overtaken Masawa in the um, singles matches. He's only been a part of one tag team match that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars. And it depends on how you look at it. Is wrestling to be defined by the singles match? Or is it a sign that Okada, maybe he isn't as great a wrestler as Masawa because he hasn't worked the tag division. Like, that was the thing. Masawa not only was shouldering the singles division with the triple crown, he was shouldering the tag division with the world's strongest tag league and the All Japan World Tag Team yeah. titles. And obviously, um, his big coming out moment was in a six man tag series. One of his big coming out moments. Well, one of his. I'd say not yeah. nearly as much as his single. Not the one. But I'm no, just saying, it's but... like maybe there's a versatility in Masawa that he can work with in the different styles of matches that Okada hasn't displayed. It depends mm. on how much import. Well, New Japan has never put that much importance to their tag team division. That, that's a factor. Although, I think I might have made a prediction. Was one of my predictions for this year that Okada and Tanahashi would challenge for the IWGP tag titles? I think it might have been. I'll be honest, it doesn't ring a bell. But... It, was definitely, it was definitely in the running. I can't remember yeah. if I said it, but it was definitely in the running as a prediction. Um, And, yeah, and, and like I said, and Okada will probably overtake him eventually, but he's still got to do another 10 five-star matches to match him. Still Masawa, for Okada. Masawa, in the first 70 matches that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to, 24 of those matches featured Mitsuhara Masawa. That is insanity. When you that's, think about that's it, that's more than a third. Yeah, he is. There are, there are, I, 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 it's horrible on an audio format to say something like this, but there really aren't enough words to describe how good that man was. Just looking at him, at the point of the sixty episodes, and we'll also revise this again in our next episode. I have one, two, three. Five matches in my top ten list have Masawa in them. So I'm sure oh, just pulling mine up, I yes. have... One, two, three, four. All of the four top four matches feature Masawa for you. I have and six. He's also in two yeah. others, yeah. He's also in number eight and number ten. That's in the your Actually, that's an interesting one. And also, did we go back? I'm still torn. This is... If this match with Kabashi isn't five stars, it's as high as it gets without being five stars. So I'm not sure one way or the other. And I feel like because it was so historically significant, like the Saruta match, mm. I think I am going to give this... I'm going to end it with five stars for Masawa. I... So I've given three Masawa-Kabashi matches five stars. Yeah. I am also giving this one five stars. Well, let's see I... if we could get a tally of how many of our own individual five stars we've given them whilst you're going on. Oh, good lord! Um, the reason I I give this five stars, it, it, I love the storytelling in it. The pacing was good; it had really good psychology. Um, I didn't know which way it was going to go, um, even though we've talked about those. There's going to be these passing of the torch moments. It still gave me that bit of doubt, and it, oh, it just mm. took me along in such a wave. 
And that's what I look for. I, I just look for something that I, I become fully immersed into. Because that is what wrestling is. Wrestling is immer- like Truly great wrestling is immersion. Mm. And that's what this match gave me. So yeah, I've given eight Masawa matches five stars myself. And I've only given 16 matches so far in this five stars. So Masawa's factored in 50% of all the matches I've given five stars to. Now, see, I don't have an exact tally to hand. Um, Maybe you can work on that and tell us in the next episode. I know it's in double digits, comfortably. I don't know if it's quite up to you. I don't know, it could be 16. It'd be interesting. No, but not. I haven't given all the 16 Masawa matches. I've given eight Masawa matches five stars. I've given 16 matches in total five stars. Mm-hmm. So half of all no. the matches I've given five stars. Oh, on sorry, I do apologise. Have been Masawa matches. Okay, I see now. I see. You know, you can work on those stats with our next episode, which is what Simon. It is our debrief. Uh, we are going to be looking at um, our top ten lists again. So you may see if there's any movement in that. Uh, we're going to be talking about our alternative match. Do we want to reveal that just yet, or shall we save no, that? No, we'll save that for the episode. We'll have that as a we'll nice little surprise. Way. It's one of the matches that doesn't get five stars between October of 1999 <laughs> and March of, nine, of 2003. Believe it or not, there were good matches during that period of time. <laughs> yeah, wrestling didn't stop for four years. <laughs> but it did recalibrate, so we might discuss that. Okie doke. All right. And also a, a listener question. So, and if you want to get in touch with people to ask questions, how can they get in touch with you, Simon? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the number of times in this match, I I genuinely did think that a head drop was too much. I know I've done the head drop thing to death, but I, there were three really jarring ones in this match. Really despite depressing the way to end that, doing head drops to death, Simon. Yep. <laughs> well, my name's Lorcan Mullen. That's L O R C A N M U L L A for the A in Misawa and N for the N for second to none. Because that's what Misawa was. That's my Instagram account, Facebook, e- um, Twitter, Letterboxd. If you want to give me an email, put an at gmail.com at the end of that. And if you want to get in touch with us at the show, it's lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle. But anyway, there's nothing much left to say now except my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you, Mitsuhara Masawa, and we hope that you all have a five-star time. Until the next time. There's a star
Let it 